0: Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish and I'm joined here today by the man himself, the master of the going concern. His name is Abby,
1: (laughs) The leader of the going concern.
0: (laughs) The creator of the going concern.
1: (laughs) I have gone concerned. (laughs) What's up, buddy?
0: A little financial statement joke for those people uh, who know what we're talking about.
1: Because we do seek safe harbor. <laughs>
0: oh <boy>. We're <laughs> off to a good start. How There's you cool. doing?
1: Very well, buddy. Very well. Even after the whipsaw
0: that we've seen in the last little week or so. Um I can't complain. Yeah, I i hear what you're saying. And um it's funny to be doing the episode this week. So t- today is uh March 2nd. Um it's my brother's birthday, so happy birthday to him. And uh it's funny to be doing the episode today, this week, because this week is a pretty chill week so far, uh, although the week is still young. Um, whereas you know, last week and even the week before, but especially last week, very turbulent days that we had, right? And um, and and it was something that I think we have been warning about for a while, and something that I've been concerned about, which is, you know, what happens to an overheated market when you know, things start cooling off a little bit, right? And you never know what the trigger is going to be. And last week, you know, the trigger was or seemed to be the idea of the 10-year treasury, you know, the bond rates rising. And and that caused, uh, you know, a, a rise, uh, caused a, a little bit of panic to hit the market, especially in the retail sector.
1: Yeah. And I do want to note that, you know, the rates rising or the 10 years rising was on the backdrop of improving economic fundamentals, right? Right. So that's something that a lot of people don't understand because you and I, we did an episode, the difference between the economy versus stock market. This is a great example. The economy is starting to improve. Mm -hmm. Texas just announced that they're going to open up. Biden came Mm -hmm. out and said that by May, excuse me, vaccines are going to be, every American is going to be vaccinated that wants Mm -hmm. to be. Um, Those are all... Things that point to improving economic fundamentals, mm-hmm. and um, the markets are pulling back because of it, right? And yeah, so that's what, a good idea. What a, idea. Sorry, what a
0: you know what a, what a great point you just made there. Like the ten-year treasury, right? Which is is we'll get into this a little bit later. But uh, the ten-year treasury, typically, what how we think about it is when things look bad, when it looks like things are going to be soft, the treasury goes down right? So the, the price of these treasuries goes up, the, the yield goes down. So, you know, for a while it's been only like half a percent or something like that. Uh, you know, it's kind of crept upwards. Um, and and now it's, it's gone above 1%. Um, and like you said, it's, it's, it is because people now the end of COVID is in sight, right? We're have, we have the, these vaccines out way faster than I thought, honestly, Um, you know, the, the production is ramping up, the distribution is going really well in the U S and then once the U S is done, they're going to give all these vaccines to other countries. You know, people in Canada are freaking out a little bit, but you know, like I tell everybody here, like guys, the next 30 days, 60, 90 days could be a little bumpy, but the next Mm -hmm. six months are going to be great. Like, you know, if you look forward six months, you know, we're, we're good, you know, the U S is vaccinating, you know, 50 million people a month. (laughs) That's the whole country of Canada. Right. So. The the point you're making is a great one, that the bond rate going up is caused by uh, positivity and optimism with regards to the economy reopening, which looks very, very realistic and is going to be happening this year. Um, and somehow stocks go down. Right. So it's, it's kind of a funny dynamic mm-hmm. where you go, oh, my God, the economy is reopening faster than we thought. Life is going to get back to normal. Things are going to be good. I better sell off these stocks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so here, if I could provide a little bit of color of why that, or my thoughts of why that happens. So you've got the 10-year going up, right? Which Mm -hmm. means yields are rising, which means Mm -hmm. that the Fed funds are eventually going to rise. And that's a case for rising interest rates because the economy is doing better. They don't need to print as much stimulus. These are all good things. Mm -hmm. Well, now you ask yourself, why is the stock market going down? Well, what the 10-year treasury is, it's a debt. It's bond yields. And so, as as the cost of borrowing increases, corporate profits start to go down, and earnings, in result, will start will start to diminish. Right, as the cost of borrowing for most of these for larger companies start going up, earnings start decreasing because earnings start decreasing. The prices have to re, like to sorry readjust to, uh, yeah, readjust sure. right
0: yeah. I, let me so sorry let, let me just cut in because like you know I, I work in the commercial real estate business. We are highly highly sensitive to interest rates. Okay. So let me, I hear what you're saying, Abby, and and that is definitely a part of it. Let me, let me put it to you a little bit differently. Um, The interest rates in the investment world are like gravity. Okay. Especially when you work in really boring asset classes, like, you know, commercial debt or like, you know, uh, commercial real estate. And essentially it goes like this. If the risk-free rate, the 10-year government rate is 1%, then everything that acts as like your base. And everything is just based on a spread above that. So if the risk-free rate is 1%, then a mortgage might be 3% because it's 200 bips, 200 basis points over the 1%. And then mm-hmm. you might buy property at 100 to 200 basis points above that. So the yield right. on the property is 4 to 5%. These are all just theoretical numbers. So the minute you go from a risk-free rate of 1% to 2%, then everything has to adjust accordingly right then everything else gets blown out and right. if you if you know how you know yields work if you're buying a property at a 5% yield and then it gets repriced to a 6% yield you just lost 20% of your value yes
1: and that's a very important point to note because because right now what the real number is for the 10 years 1.5 let's say like 1.47 or something so let's just say 1.5 for the sake of argument and they're thinking it's going to go up to 2%. people are like well 2% isn't a lot of money. it's like well the difference between 1.5 and 2% is 25% increase.
0: Yeah, a third. Yeah, a third. Yeah, yeah. Because fifty bits uh, on on one point five percent.
1: Oh, I guess yeah, yeah. For, for the yeah, books, yeah. you yeah, thinking you're, the other yeah. way around. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I got you.
0: Yeah. But but your point is well taken, right? But the the so if you think about it from that perspective, what people says, is okay, interest rates are going up. They're not going to stay at zero forever. Therefore, the the yields or the the price earning multiple that we put on these you know tech stocks and all that kind of stuff, those are getting readjusted as well, right? Those it's not reasonable now to pay a 50 or 60 times earning multiple, which if you think about it, like yields, like if you, if you inverse it, cause I'm a real estate guy, I think about it in terms of percent yield, a 50 PE is a 2% yield, right? So that might look okay when, when 10 year rates are under 1%, but when they're 2%, that doesn't really make sense. However, I will say like in real estate, it doesn't really work like that. Like, oh, the rate went up 1%, everything else goes up 1% because if it's going up 1% because the economy is improving, then your underlying income, which is the rents, should also improve, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so it doesn't always work that way. But all of this is, this is all the theory behind what happened last week. The reality of what happens last week is, you know, like we've seen a lot of times, it's not fundamentals that rule this market in the short term, it's technicals. And when the bonds get readjusted, that means money flows into bonds and out of equities. And it also just freaks people out. And once people get freaked out and the charts change, things get, you know, uh, I would say scary if, if you're sitting in our chair. But when I talk to my friends who are, you know, managing many more zeros than we are, they're like, this isn't that scary. This is the market, you know, a little bit of froth coming off of the market.
1: That's actually funny that you say that because when I talk to my friends who also manage a little bit more zeros than you and I have, mm-hmm. they're saying the exact opposite. I'm not saying mm-hmm. they're going all into cash, but they're saying um, they're rotating their portfolio to be more defensive mm-hmm. than, mm-hmm. let's say, cyclical for the large cap guys. For the small cap guys, when I talk to them, uh, a lot of them are actually taking profits. Mm-hmm. And they're like, every time a stock goes up by like 10 cents or whatever, I'll start trimming, which is not something that they were doing before.
0: Interesting. That, that is interesting. So, but look, let, let's get to the meat of this episode, right? And uh, all of this is just a setup and, and it's nice to have a little update on what we're seeing. But this goes to something we were talking about, have been talking about for a while, which is the market, you know, I, I, this is like almost like my tagline now, like people are taking too much risk. I've been saying that again and again and again, and they've been kind of just jumping into things, you know, blindly because when a market's going up, that is a fun game to play. But what do we do when we have to face loss, right? So, you know, this week things have stabilized seemingly, although who knows what's next. But, um, you know, when you're in the middle of that, you know, dip, when you when the S and P blows out two and a half percent in one day, right? That is really scary because you don't know what's going to happen next, and you're like, is this the end of the pain or is this the start of the pain, mm-hmm. right? So that's where it gets really scary. And for a lot of people, so first of all, almost everybody, you know, listening and and in part of the cannabis space, we are retail investors. And we are very much prone to doing things emotionally. A lot of us are quite young, so we lack a lot of experience. And if you started investing any time before 20, 2009, thousand and nine, you've never really experienced a serious downturn. So you haven't had to experience this really scary sense of loss except for maybe in March of 2020 which then had the fastest recovery we've ever seen in human history so the the point that i've been making and what i'm trying to get to loss is really scary fear is very real and we need to um we need to have you know check our mindset and make sure we have the right mindset so that we're ready and able to deal with these things when they come that
1: makes sense. That's a that's a good reassuring outlook on what's going on.
0: Well, I mean, let's get into what what the actual, you know, that's the setup, right? The the question is, so first of all, starting starting it off, why is losing money so painful? Because Abby and we've talked about this before. When your stock is going up 7% in 1 day or 10% in 1 day, which is not that weird in cannabis, obviously you're happy, right? But it is so like that happiness seems like a fraction of the emotion when your stock is going down 10% in one day.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, here's a great example. If a stock goes down 10% and goes back up 10% the next day, you're still at a loss, right? Right. So, and, and just,
0: so, so like, just to explain that if it's 10 bucks, and you go down ten percent, you're at nine bucks. And then if you yeah. go up ten percent, you're at nine ninety. Exactly. Right. So you're ninety nine percent of what you were before.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, like, if you look at it from that perspective, when your stock is going down, so sometimes we've seen swings as high as like 30 percent. You know, your stock's got to go back up forty to sixty percent just so you can break even.
0: That's a good point. That's a good logical reason why.
1: I mean that that that's how I look at it, right? And it's uh, and and it's funny because I, I heard I think somebody quoted a meme in the office today, but it was really funny and I, I wanted to say it here. And it says, "If you can't handle me at my twenty percent dips, you don't deserve me at my twenty x rips."
0: That uh, that's great. That's um, that was something I saw a lot in the Bitcoin days.
1: Oh really? Okay. Yeah, so somebody back... somebody quoted it today. It was the first time I heard it, and I was just dying laughing.
0: That is that is true, and it's funny too because like. Uh, you, you know, there, there's all these, you know, as you know, I like to uh, play in the mud sometimes with the investments. And I, I get these deals that are like super hairy and people are like, what are you doing? And then, and then, you know, they can have these really great returns, but they can have, God, the volatility on these things is <laughs> just brutal sometimes, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, but so, so, you know, when it comes down to just the human element, and, and I think this is so key. You need to understand how humans work, and you know I need to understand how you know you yourself are built. And it, this is like a well-documented thing in psychology that the fear of loss and the pain of loss is like multiples greater than the joy we get from gain. Yeah, I think so, it's like the gambler's fallacy or something,
1: right?
0: Uh, I'm I'm that. not sure if that's gambler's fallacy, but it's it's. And I think they've even quantified it somehow, but something like two to three times, where the the pain of losing, or the fear or the incentive of losing, actually motivates people much more than the ability to gain. Okay. So why that's important for us is that it's not only that it's a it's a psychological thing; it's that losses and fear uh, pushes people into action. Right. And, um, one of the reasons actually I like having a diverse network of friends is that you can see sometimes how retail, um, even like smart, educated finger on the pulse retail, sometimes they're freaking out for no reason when nothing has really changed. And then you ask yourself that person on Robin hood, who bought you know the stock because they read it on you know the Motley Fool? I mean they must be losing their minds right now.
1: Okay, <clears throat> I mean I, I I don't get where you're going with this.
0: My my point is, fear can be contagious. It is contagious. So on a week like last week, what I was seeing was like people were panicking because things were down. But ultimately, in our sector, we are. We are related to the broader markets typically, and if there's a big sell off in the broader markets, we can get an outsized sell off in our markets.
1: Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Right, so
0: then things go down ten percent for no reason sometimes.
1: Right, and because... then you're, and then you're you're saying that the, your typical retail investor who sort of just went into the name because they read it in Motley Fool or whatever, read it stock or any a meme stock. Because they don't fully understand why they entered the position, you know, they might start creating narratives of why it's down when really it's just being oversold.
0: Well, the the reality is nobody knows why it's down, right? But uh, there there was a great thing in the um, I think it was the book on long term capital management, which uh, which was a, a fund that blew up, and uh, you know when they were when they were trying to save the fund, uh, they were showing their books to somebody, and and the guy said, "How much are you down?" And the guy said, "Well, we're down fifty percent." And he said, well, then you're done. He said, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're, you're down 50%, which means people are going to think you can go down 100%. So nobody's going to give you money. So, you know, you're dead. And, and, well, the, wait, who,
1: so, say that again. Say that again. That's actually pretty, that's very interesting.
0: He, he said, he said to them, you, you guys have gone down 50%, right? Which means you can go down
1: 100%. Okay.
0: And whether or not that's true, he said that was the perception.
1: Right. And that perception he, is basically reality.
0: In, in that case, like perception can become reality. We've talked about this before, where if if something you know goes down heavily, um, like and we see this with stocks, if something goes down 20%, 20, 20, 30%, and then it gets down to 50%, people a lot of times then will just get out because they say, look, yeah. this could be a zero, and at least I get something back. I don't want to get nothing back.
1: Right. I agree with that. But, I, but I, I see it the other way around. A lot of people look at it and they look at charts and they say, well, look, it used to trade at $10. Now it's $5. This is a bargain. I should get in. And then the natural floor starts to build. So that's why when, when you were saying you've gone down 50%, which means you could go down 100%, I'm like, well, that's very different than what I see. Mm-hmm. I see people saying, oh, man, the stock's gone down 50%. If they're, if they're on the sidelines, they say, oh, man, the stock's gone down 50%. Um, it could easily go back up to what it was trading at before. And you can kind of get back in. That was kind of like my rationale mm-hmm. for investing in the pand- uh, when the pandemic first started back in mm-hmm. last year, mm-hmm. right? It was like, oh, like things are oversold. It's down by like 30, 35%. That's an easy 30% I could get back.
0: But that usually, and to your point, that really only happens once things have kind of rebounded, right? Like yes, the, the yes. biggest red days when everything's going down, people are, even if they're buying, they're like still a little cautious. You're hesitant. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because again, you don't know where it's going. It could go down more. Right. And, and it's funny the first uh, two, three weeks of the pandemic, like, like, I mean like February when things were going, you know, started going down, but it was down like not crazy amounts. I was a buyer. I was, you know, I was a dip buyer, a dip buyer, uh, buying, buying, buying. And then after, you know, two, three weeks of just getting crushed, like you buy something and you're down another 30% already. And you're just like, Oh man, like I must be missing something here. Right. Yeah. So, so logically I hear you, Abby, and people will, say man i can't wait for the next dip and then i'll be buying but in the moment when it's actually happening and the the sky seems like it's falling it's very hard to actually pull the trigger on that
1: yeah that's true it is and and i'm and i'm laughing because like i've been on both sides of the coin and you just uh it's like ptsd all
0: over (laughs) (laughs) i was having a flashback so but but, you know, this goes back, Abby, to something we talked about, I think, on our first episode ever, where, you you know, we talked about the fact that if you want to be successful in investing, a lot of it has to do with mindset and a lot of it has to do with just making good decisions. And one of the secrets to making good decisions is to build a system which allows you to make good decisions. For example, um, I've always said this, like, Commercial real estate, people get rich, not because they're smarter than everybody, but because the way real estate works, you know, you have to um, write a large check to do the deal. You have to go to a bank to get financing. So there's somebody else doing due diligence with you, right? There, there's an mm-hmm. institution who vets the deal for you. Um, and you think, a lot. You go visit the property 10 times. You have maybe 30 or 60 days for due diligence. You have a lot of time to sit and really think about making this purchase, right? You're not it's not just something you can click a button and buy. And then after you've done the deal, the transactional costs are so high that even when, you know, COVID hit, I bet you there's a lot of property owners who would have just sold their property if they could push a button. But because of the natural friction, they didn't do that and now right they're probably quite happy right so the system intentionally or not helps people make better decisions because there's less you know there's less heat there's less less uh, pressure on them to do something quickly and we need to you need to kind of look internally and ask yourself how do I set myself up for success? How do I not only mindset, but how do I set up a portfolio and set up a trading strategy or investment strategy that is going to maximize my chance of success and not cause me to do something stupid when emotions are running high? And that comes to you from a guy who dumped his entire portfolio you know, like the third week of March when things were basically at the bottom of the market. So speaking from experience here.
1: Yeah, it's, 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 it's true. Um, One thing that I would like to do is I, and I've talked about this in multiple episodes, it's, you got to have sell discipline, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's easy to say, but it's hard to do in practice.
0: It's nearly impossible.
1: Well, I mean, like, look, so a a good example is, um, you know, the SOL trade that you and I were on right? You you, you kind of discovered it. Um, We both looked at it. We really liked it. We believe in the company, which we still do. Mm -hmm. Um, It was basically event driven on the fact that when Verano goes public, this company will get a re-rating and be worth X multiples more. And I was like, okay, this is great. And I, we, you know, we started seeing the twitters blow up. We started seeing a whole bunch the twitters. of twitters, you know, the Twitter, yeah, the Twitter, sp- <laughs> the Twitter spheres, yeah. And then we made the Google, and uh, it's uh, <laughs> sound like my parents right now. Yeah, my you dad know. on the
0: podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, like so once once we searched, once we researched into it, we're like, hey, this is a great trade. And so what I did was I knew that Verona was going public, um, that the like last week. And I put a stop loss in at I think it was like around six bucks. I think is when is when my stop loss was put in, and all of a sudden the stock sold off and the stop mm-hmm. loss got triggered. And I was like, oh crap! Like, why, why did I put the stop loss so high? This thing's gonna be worth way more. It's just being oversold. So I bought back in. I bought back in at five, five fifty. I think I can't even remember. I bought back in at a lower uh, at a lower uh, uh, price than I sold at. And then it popped. And then again, I also put another stop loss and I put it back in at five bucks. And it went back up and I didn't sell. And then it went back down past $5 again. And it sort of crystallized my losses. And I said, okay, listen, I'm going to wait till all the hype and everything that's going on and the stock comes out. Right. Mm -hmm. And I always say to myself, so so some of my friends were saying, uh, well, why would you do this? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And I say, like, listen, like I, I sell, I sell stock. I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit that. Um, I buy stock as
0: well. And the biggest. There you have it, guys. There you have it. Abby is a buyer and a seller of stock. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Unlike breaking news, more at six.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I buy high and sell low. It's a a (laughs) very different strategy. But no, I don't mind paying like a fifteen percent insurance premium, as I say. Like I know I'm never going to catch the bottom. I know that. Right, I don't try right, to catch right, right. the bottom. I right. don't mind if it starts rallying and I like my cost base is a little bit higher. I'm perfectly com- comfortable with that. And as as you were talking earlier about the psyche of like loss is so much more painful than gain, I think I've just lost so much that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to prevent as much of it as I possibly can.
0: Well, look, look you're making some great points here. You're, you're going to go into the next kind of parts that we're, we're going to talk about here, which is... For for me, my mentality and how I think about things is it's important to understand what I'm investing in uh, and why I'm investing in it, right? So, um, and, and, you know, SOL is a funny one, right? It, it's one that I almost uh, regret, you know, mentioning on the podcast, but I, I did it, you know, I mentioned it way back in like October, November, or whatever it was, oh, sorry, it might've been December actually. Uh, and then we mentioned it again and, and it was funny because if you go back to the last episode where I mentioned it, it was right before Verano came out and I was like, oh boy, this is like the, the disconnect was so significant. I was like, oh my God, we're gonna see just this huge rally. Um and yet the day Verano came out, it it rallied almost exactly like we thought. But SOL just sat there and in fact went down. And we just said, oh, I guess it's a sell the news event. Who knows what's going on? Um uh, it came out later that short interest on those days went through the roof, right? So uh, but I the reason I say I regret mentioning it is because I always knew it was uh, you know, a bit of a risk or it was a bit of a hairy deal, right? And um, I, you know, you made this joke before in it, but it's somewhat true. I don't mind volatility. Like I actually think one of my strengths, uh, you know, March 2020 excluded, is that like I have a good understanding of what I own and what I'm buying so that when things are getting beat up from a technical perspective, when they're going down five, 10, 20%, um, I don't mind putting more money behind it because I have an idea of why I purchased something. Right, I purchased SOL because it, as a vehicle of owning SOL, of owning Verano shares, and when the price went down, but the Verano shares were you know where I thought they were, the disconnect just got larger. So I just mm-hmm. said, "Oh, this this works for me." Now that that method of what I do can also bite you in the ass because a couple of days later, you know MM Cap the lender puts out a lawsuit and says um, you know, their side of the story, which is no, 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 we, we should get two thirds of those shares. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you're like, oh, geez, here we go. Right. And, and this is sometimes, this is what happens when you play in the mud, you get dirty. Um, Mm -hmm. but to go back into, you know, the, the, uh, idea of value investing and understanding what you're buying, you know, if you do a calculation on what's inside of the company, right. And and it comes out to I'm not even going to use tell you the numbers, but the number is essentially much higher than where it is today, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why I didn't sell because I'm like, hey, it's going to go to this higher number. Right. Even if you so even if you look at what you know the the lender says that they're owed, right? At, at like the two thirds of the shares, back those out and then yeah. value the company, right? So you're you're kind of taking a worst case scenario, um, and you're still trading well below that. Then like you're kind of like, well, okay, how's this going to be a zero? Like it doesn't really make sense to me, right? So Mm -hmm. so that's why when it's down 50%, I can go, okay, we can keep buying it. Although it's goddamn painful. I mean, it's real truly an example of, you know, when there's blood in the streets, you should be buying even if it's your own blood. And and that's the second half of the quote you don't hear enough. Is that it's really, really hard to be buying when it's when it's that bloody. Um, because you're getting you know you're bleeding, right? but it's it, it's that ability to do that. I think that is actually one of my strengths. So all of that is to say, I, you know what what I do is probably not for the average person, and it's probably probably not even a good strategy for the average person.
1: I mean it it, it makes sense. You hold and you've got diamond hands. <laughs> as, you know as uh as, as the people on the internet would call it um but it makes sense i mean it is also a very uh professional strategy too to hold companies that you fundamentally believe in so basically what manish is saying is the value of uh, the how he's valued the company based on the assets they hold uh is significantly higher than what the price is trading at right now and he firmly believes that now if you firmly believe that would you not average down and purchase more stocks down here or more shares, sorry down here.
0: Well, that's so that's what I did, right? On, on the really, really red day when it when it uh, fell heavily, I, I was able to buy a little more, buy a little more. And going to you know kind of the the theme of this episode, which is mindset and setting up winning strategies for yourself, if I didn't have any cash, if I was like, you know like zero, zero cash, um, even to me, if I can just add one percent to my holdings when it's down, I'm going to feel good. I'm going to feel like, okay, good. I'm averaging down. In reality, that 1% that I'm averaging down is nothing, right? It's not changing my cost base like significantly, right? But if I'm doing a little something, I feel good, right? And that good feeling kind of makes me feel better on a really bad day.
1: That's so odd. Yeah. I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so like, I, I don't know. My, my my strategy is pretty simple. I usually put a stop loss when I enter a position. I put a stop loss at more than thirty, thirty uh, five percent, because if I lose, and I'm just like, you know what, that was a bad deal. I'm just walking away from it, and then I'll, yeah. I'll buy when it starts going down. Uh, like when it, when it's really, really, really low or out of favor, then I'll start start to buy back in. <clears throat> but usually on like like and, and
0: sorry, whole- sorry, Abby, when it actually does that, when it keeps going down, keeps going down, do you actually buy back in though, or are you like, eh, no, no, I wait
1: for it to come back up. Right, because I don't mind paying that fifteen percent. Right, I don't mind like losing fifteen percent off the bottom. And so you then, and want 15, you want to
0: see it rebound.
1: I want to see a rebound. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not going to catch a falling knife. I want to see once the knife starts going back up. Right.
0: Right. 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 Um, and and, and but, so, but, but, but sorry to cut you This is the point. I, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Explain a little further. Well, no,
1: no, no. So I mean, so that that was kind of it. And so what I wanted to say um, was that averaging down, it's it, it's a great strategy um but you know you've got to have a lot of conviction behind a name before you can actually do that and i feel like a lot of people especially early cannabis investors and spec investors you know you're buying tickers you're buying you're buying stocks you're not buying companies right mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and so we're at a point now where these 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 stocks are actually real companies they're they're like this wave of cannabis ipos that you and i are both seeing are legitimate companies that have cash flow that have solid business plan models they're not it's not, it's not you're not buying a pitch deck you know
0: the market has changed right and and sure. it's um for me that's for the better right like i'm i'm better at i come from uh, the business of evaluating cash flows of commercial real estate so for me like i look at i've said this multiple times now i look at evaluating a cannabis company by its footprint state by state asset by asset right and that to me has become a competitive advantage and you know when a company goes down 10% you kind of ask yourself well what's fundamentally changed here right like has, has the earnings potential of this company changed in some way now with with going back to this example of SOL um when that lawsuit came out uh and i should note the lawsuit was already out it was just we only had SOL side of the story now we had MM cap side of the story and mm cap by the way if you think SOL is shady i mean mm cap is like you know like these are like, uh, you know, it's like scumbag V scumbag here, right? Like, it's like two of the most hated names on the street. Um, not to say they're, you know, wrong or, or do anything, you know, uh, uh, illegal, but, you know, just just peop- names that people really don't like, right? And um, their side of the story, you know, and, and having uh, reporters or whoever, you know, tell a side of the story, it's scary. It really, really is scary, right? But ultimately... It did change the fundamental analysis of the picture because before I said this is the value of assets in the company, and now i'm saying, um, okay, that might be the value that's that you know if everything goes well that's the value, but what is the value if I take away two thirds of those shares in the worst case scenario so that is a fundamental change, and that is negative on the story, no doubt, right but you have to play out the different scenarios and if the if the price has become has priced that in and more Then what do I do about that? Right. Like to me, I'm Mm going to do something about it. And and Mm -hmm. sorry, just last point here, Abby, your strategy, what you do, um, it probably wouldn't work for me because remember, like people ask sometimes about, you know, uh, low liquidity companies and I actually don't mind buying low liquidity. I actually like it. Right. Uh, but the problem with that strategy is, if you change your mind and you have a stop loss and you want to get out in a hurry, um you could single-handedly crush the price of a stock if yeah. you're if you're trying to get out of a low liquidity name.
1: Yeah, and so a lot of people need to understand how a stop loss actually works. They like I was trying to explain this to somebody and they're like, "Oh, I had a stop loss at $5, but I got filled at 4.50. Why is that? Why is why is that?" It's because if there aren't enough shares in the market, if the bid isn't enough, if there aren't enough shares for uh that you can buy, um or somebody, sorry, if, if somebody doesn't have a bid out for the number of shares that you're trying to sell, your stop loss is just going to keep filling every single bid until you lose, until you get rid of all your shares.
0: Oh, really? I, I didn't know yeah.
1: that. I mean, in most cases, I mean, quest trade. I don't know if you have a, if you have a professional trader, then, you know, they might stop it. But if you use like a discount brokerage like I do, that's going to keep happening and you can see it. You can go through your, your
0: fill reports and you'll just see you hit every single bid interesting so so let's let's get into some of these uh, I want to get into kind of the meat of the episode here which is uh, you know one of the things about um you know the human brain and time and loss is that you know when you're like we are all now sitting at home and sitting in front of our computers way more than ever before and I think it's actually really unhealthy for us to watch charts all day long, right watch them go up and down and and the roller coaster ride of it it's really I don't think it's healthy for, for the human mind. And I think what happens is the way you think about time can actually change. Like watching a market go up and down over the course of six, eight hours in a day. If you watch charts all day, that day can feel really, really long on a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I know, you know what I'm, what I'm talking about. So it reminds me of right like, in the pandemic how every day, like, you know, the, the kind of that March period every day ever felt so long, so much was happening. You know, I was on conference calls and, you know, what are we doing about this and that and what, you know, the world is falling apart. And I remember getting an email from, uh, like a U.S. colleague who was like summarizing, you know, what the treasury was saying or something. And, uh, she, she ended it with, uh, what a year this week has been. <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny. And I thought that just summarized it so beautifully. Like, you know, the human brain doesn't understand time and understands experiences. And when you're having these super negative experiences, um, that time can move really, really slowly, especially when you're sitting at home, you're not, you know, having a beer with your friends. Like this is all weighing on all of us, right? So mm-hmm. that's, that is not conducive to making good decisions. That, that's point one. Point number two is, you know, on a really bad day, um, last week, I think Apple was down like 2.5% uh, on a bad day. 2.5% on $2 trillion, which is the market cap of Apple, uh, is $50 billion. So Holy. Apple, in one day, lost more market cap than all of the big four MSOs combined. Wow. Let me say it again. So Apple, in one day, lost $50 billion, which is more than the value of all the biggest... M- the biggest four MSOs combined. That is very humbling to think about. Right. When you ask how can our sector go down 10 or 15% in a day, mm-hmm. which it has before. And it probably will again. It's not that hard to, th- to imagine when Apple can go down, you know, that like all, like let's say all of the, some of the biggest companies together, maybe 50 billion it goes down 10%. And that's 5 billion. you know, and it's trading on, you know, crappy CSE and OTC exchanges, that's not that crazy to think about, right? Especially when you're retail dominated. Right? If if Apple can go down 50 billion in a day, you know, GTI can go down 500 million in a day. That's not that nuts.
1: I don't know. I mean, I I'd have to disagree. I think I think Apple is it's 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 a different it's a completely different beast, right? It's um like like a 2 trillion dollar company has such a larger impact than um, a company like Trulieve or GTI or, or any of the any of the big four MSOs right now, uh, it's I, I I'd be pretty confident to say that Apple's going to be here in the next five years. Okay, um, yeah. I, I don't mean, know. A- if,
0: Apple's not here, we probably don't have a country.
1: Well, no. I mean, you never know, right? With tech, with like like Kodak, you know, this, Kodak was one of the largest companies, and all of a sudden their technology came yeah, outdated. So uh, it's not ahead. it's not outrageous. So I would say with with, with a high degree of confidence, I can th- I think that Apple's going to be here in five years. Um, I can't say that about. Truly, Cresco, GTI, or any of the, any of these large U.S. MSOs, I think that they can, I I think that some of them will be here, but I can't, I can't say it with the same degree of confidence that I can say with Apple. And so why that part little, why that part really matters is because now you're going to be attracting a different type of investor, right? When you're a $2 trillion company, you're going to get large pension plans, institutional money, like sticky assets that stay in the, the real diamond hands. Right? The real diamond hands. the hands. real diamond hands the ones that will actually stay and they will start buying your shares up when two like a two percent dip for a lot of these companies is like a buying opportunity it's like Happy, a gift for them it's a it's, it's a gift exactly exactly and so it's a little bit different with the msos to compare apples to apples but i do get what you're saying you, you want to compare dollars to dollars you want to show that hey listen you know you look at like, like losing $500 million market cap a day. Isn't that crazy? Because if you really look at the broader universe, it's actually a grain of sand compared to like what these yes. guys are
0: doing. Yes. Right? It's just context. Yeah. It's Just context. Now you said something very important I want to touch on. And and I read this on wall street bets. Um, so, you know, it's true. So it, <laughs> it was a guy made just a fabulous point, which was what, you know, this is, this is after kind of the GME thing. And you know, look, diamond hands has become a meme and it's like, "Oh, I'm di- I'm a diamond hand guy." And it's like, "Well, that's not such a great thing, right?" Like 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 so this gets into something we want to talk about, which is like let's dispel dispel some of the popular myths that I think are just just kind of BS. Like so this diamond hands thing, you know, th- this guy was saying, "Look, the hedge funds have figured you guys out now. They figured out Reddit. You know, you guys all all say these great diamond hand memes, but then at the first sign of trouble, you diamond handers have sold your stock before the boomers even know how to check their prices. And the, the point this guy was making, I thought, was, was really, really good is that, you know, with Robinhood and the gamification, we've all become so good at just click, click, click. You know, my dad, on the other hand, like he hates the stock market. Uh, I think in 2011, he, he asked for my help because t- he wanted to buy some bank stocks. Um, and he he bought some bank stocks. He didn't look at the statement for like another eight years. You know what I mean? And, and like he has accumulated so much. What in did dividends. he just
1: like look out his window and was like, oh, TD Bank is still here. This is good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, he probably yeah. forgot he had the the account even open. Yeah.
1: And yeah, when I looked funny. at it,
0: he had accumulated so much in dividends that was just sitting there. And he's like, why is there all this cash in the account? And I'm like, dad, that's the dividends from the bank stocks. And he's like, oh, that's good then. <laughs> you know, and it's hilarious, totally. but it's like that strategy worked really well for him, right? Mm-hmm. So this whole diamond hands thing, um, you, you know, I have a friend who said it really well. And, and he said, look, I, I, I think I'm doing this investing thing wrong. Um, and I said, well, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I'm buying things that I don't really understand why I'm buying them. You know, they're kind of like a hot tip or whatever. And then when something goes wrong, And it goes down 20 or 30%. I get shaken out because I get scared. I don't know what I'm holding. I don't know what's wrong. So I just dump it. So I don't have Mm -hmm. the conviction in what I'm buying. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really, really self-aware of him to be like, analyze what I'm doing. Hey, I keep losing 20 or 30%. But then sometimes that stock will rally again, right? It's not like that stock is worthless. It's just that he got shaken out of it. And I think that's a really important lesson that he's learning and that other people can learn as well.
1: And another thing you got to remember about a lot of these uh, internet meme stocks, and you know Reddit is actually pretty good at this, but like the other ones that you see on Twitter and everything else, they don't tell you when they sell. Nobody tells you when they're selling. Yes, and that's why even when I was like saying today, like like I saw stock, like I felt I felt bad. I was like, oh man, like, you know, like <laughs> I'm admitting I saw stock. It's like there's nothing wrong with it. You should be selling stock. It's perfectly fine. But nobody tells you when they sell stock. Everybody tells you when they're buying. And if you follow any of these influencers on Twitter, they're like, well, I'm buying this today. I'm buying this today. And it's like, where are you getting all this money from? They're selling some of their other positions. That's what's going on.
0: That's a great point. And and like people, like if you say, I like X, Y, Z, and you're buying it, people like agree with you, disagree with you, whatever, but nobody really comes after you. But the minute you're like, yeah, I sold TrueLeave," like I did. And I said, well, here's why I haven't reentered it. My goodness, the hate you get. It's like you... It's like you you know, uh, personally insulted somebody's family. So this is like a popular myth that we have to dispel. Like, guys, you are not part of the company. You yeah. are not there to be a cheerleader for the stock, okay? We clearly always talk about deals that we like and why we like them. But at the same time, we're not married to these companies. And actually
1: like- – I do cool. want to add, Minnie. you're really good at this. You actually critique a lot of the stocks that you own. When you've already in, entered the position, you go after managing. and you say, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You know, um, Which is which is great, which is what everyone, like, you're definitely not a cheerleader in the stock. Yeah. You're a heckler in the stock.
0: <laughs> say, if, if anything, it sounds like yeah. I'm the guy you never want.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're, you're the heckler in the crowd.
0: <laughs> no, but the, your point is, is well taken, that like when I buy something, even if I really, really like it, I always have in the back of my mind or even written down what I think could go wrong, what I think the risks are. Right. So just because people look at the chart and that to them tells them if they're right or wrong, I bought, Oh, this stock went up 20% must be good. This stock's down 20%. Ooh, what's wrong with it. Right. And I'm not saying like, look, when I say people, I mean, me and you, like this is everybody guys, this is human emotion, but we need to learn to think past this to make good decisions. So, um dispelling popular myths. What I've talked about this before. When I got into investing, everyone talks about Warren Buffett, you know, and the and the buy and hold and the you know value investing. This is not the only way. It's maybe not even the best way, and it especially might not apply to venture industries, which are a totally different beast.
1: Yeah. It 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 definitely doesn't I mean the buy and hold strategy, I don't think works for the venture industry. And the venture industry really knows that it doesn't. And so what they do to entice people to hold or entice people to participate in private placements is they give you a warrant, right? And basically what a warrant is, it allows you to rebuy that that the, the common share at a predetermined price. So I'm going to make up a financing for X, Y, Z company. Let's say the financing is at $0.50. Cents. There's probably a warrant done at $0.75. Cents. So you buy this stock, let's say, you know, it goes public and three months, this trading about 40, 45 cents, it dips a little bit. It goes back up to 50 cents. You can sell at 50 cents and let's just say people are like, well, what if this thing goes up to like two, $3? Well, you've got a warrant there that allows you to buy that stock at 65 cents. So as soon as it goes past that 65 cent mark, you know, you're, you're in the money, you're, you're, you're making money. So that's sort of a better way to invest in venture than mm. the buy and hold because a lot of the buy and hold, uh, names are the names like, like, like your dad, for example, he bought Canadian banks. I'm assuming they're Canadian banks, but he bought the yep. banks mm-hmm. and they had a yield, which means he was getting paid to wait. Yep. A lot of these venture companies can't pay you to wait because they need that cash to invest in the business.
0: Yeah. And it's almost the opposite where they'll have to raise again. So, right. so if you stick around too long and they have to keep diluting you and the market softens, mm-hmm. you could really end up on the wrong side of the thing.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly, and that's the other thing, actually, that's the other thing
0: is that the warrant, the warrant financing that you have is actually dilutive. yeah, sure. And the other thing too is you know some guys like the hedge funds will actually short the stock with the warrant. So they'll keep the warrant, they'll short the stock, and then if it ever rips like it ever they have to ever have to cover, guess what they've got the warrant
1: exactly. And like honestly, a lot of these hedge funds have their finger on the sell button before the deal even closes.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and and even like you and I were discussing this strategy earlier. Like I'm like, yeah, that doesn't like I don't short anything, but if I was to buy a bot deal with a warrant, maybe you do sell the common and just keep the warrant. Like it's a mm-hmm. it's a legitimate strategy, right? So the point being, though, and and Abby, like, you, you know, one thing people might not understand is that you know you like I'm very focused. I do real estate, and then and I do cannabis. But you have a really broad palette, and you're able to touch a lot of different industries, right? Um, and so you have a different approach because like you're if you're in a certain industry and you make a certain profit, you're like, hey, it's time to clip profits or time to leave entirely. Right. Mm -hmm. Because there's you see a wide variety of deals. Right. Whereas for me, I know everything or a lot of what's going on in cannabis, but within that, there's only really one or two or three deals at any time that I'm really, really excited about. So if it goes down, I'm going to keep putting money behind it till it goes to where I think it's going to go. Right. Right. But for you, you might say, "Well, forget this deal. There's another one in some other industry I can jump into."
1: Mm-hmm. Well, when you're when you in, when you enter a lot of nascent industries, um, you know you're really you're buying a stock and not a company, right? Because the execution risk for a lot of venture investing is quite significant. And
0: that, uh, sorry, what you just said—that's something people never talk about. People will always say, "Buy this company today; it could be the next Amazon." Right. People people don't say it could be like the ninety nine point point nine percent of companies that never get close to being what Amazon is.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, And that's something that you have to to sort of be cognizant about when you're investing in venture. And. So a lot of people ask, well, like, how do you mitigate that risk? And 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 I keep going back to sell discipline. Like, look, I I say this on here all the time: up double, sell half. I actually do that. It's it's difficult. Mm-hmm. I don't always do that, mm-hmm. but I do do it. I'd say eighty, like maybe not eighty percent of the time, but like sixty-five to seventy percent of the time, I do do it. And then the question is, well, what about the thirty percent that you don't do it on? Well, the thirty percent that I don't do it on is because the company has fundamentals that sort of justify the pr- where the price is. Right, that's the only time where I won't sell. Like when it's up double, sell out. Where I won't have it. But if I see like an overheated, like for example, I I'm putting i I've been putting a lot of money into psychedelic names for mm-hmm. the last like six, uh, almost a year. No, not a year now, but almost a year, nine months, I'd say. Um. A lot of these psychedelic names are biotech names. They're going to be very binary. They're either going to hit or they're not mm-hmm. going to hit. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there isn't cash flow. There isn't revenue. There's IP, but it's really hard for me to quantify IP. And I, I usually put an asterisk next to IP in terms of valuations. Um, but there's no cash flow. There's no there, there's no sales yet. There's nothing. So when when the stock goes up double, I will take my capital out and just I call it playing with house money. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. not house money, but mm-hmm. um, I'll just I'll, I'll let the rest less. I will let the rest ride. And if I see like an increase in volume sort of coming into these these small cap names, I will trim every time it goes up 10, 10 cents. Like people are like, oh, like, you know, why, why are you selling? This thing could go up to $2. I'm like, yeah, I could. It could easily go up to $2, but it could also go down to 50 cents. Um, so and I would you, and rather. You've lived through that. You've lived I've through lived, the, I've
0: lived, lived through that riding times. the wave and then crashing.
1: Exactly. I've like I've been high and I've sold low. I've done yeah. that multiple times, and yeah. I said or you I were high like,
0: when you sold low. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't smoke and trade. But, yeah.
0: Actually, this this actually gets me to a good point, though that I, I almost forgot to bring up is that we have to remember, like, like you know, the stock market is not that different from a casino in the short term. In the long term, we hope that it's a weighing machine and it behaves rationally. But, in the short term, you really have like opportunity for speculation and gambling and and I remember I remember um this is last year sometime I was reading some comments on g t i and the the stock had been going up you know seven eight percent a day for like a week, and somebody posted, "Yes, I'm up double in one week. this is what investing is supposed to feel like." <laughs> I was like, this is what Blackjack is supposed to feel like <laughs> like like so. It's really interesting to see, you know, when when there's a up market and retail is getting really involved and speculative names are taking off, it is a very, you know, people say speculative market. It's a gambling market and gambling is fun and there's nothing wrong with it. Like that's the other exactly. myth that you have to be a Warren Buffett buy and hold value guy. Like, no, you don't. It's your money. You can do what you want with it. But what I'm aware of is that gambling is fun. I like it. You know, I certainly enjoy it, but I like playing poker over playing blackjack. Not that poker is more fun necessarily, but to me, it's more of a skillful game, and I can control it more. And it's certainly better for my wallet than playing blackjack. So, getting to the the you know kind of end of this episode and how you actually mitigate this stuff, how you set, come up with your strategy. For me, it's portfolio allocation. A certain part of my portfolio now are names like a Columbia Care, AYR, GTI cresco that are these are long-term holds i don't want to be touching these and trimming these names i want to be buying these names when i when i really i have the chance of where i see value right then i've got a, a certain part of my portfolio that's more about trying to get the quick wins or trying to hit the long ball and maybe i'm buying warrants in those names you know i'm buying sol with that that kind of money and i don't have hard and fast rules over percentages or anything but you know, part of the reason I was able to stomach the volatility on SOL, even though it's a pretty big position for me is that as a percentage, it's not that big for me.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Right. So if, if SOL was half my portfolio, yeah, I'd probably be really sweating when, you know, it goes down 20% in the middle of the day. Right. Um, But it's not right. So that's what gives me the ability to have a little bit more of a stronger stomach and even be able to put, you know, a little bit more money behind it on the dips. And you know what, one thing
1: I love what you just said right there is you use the word portfolio. And a lot of people forget that it's a portfolio you're managing. And when a stock does go down 20% or whatever in a day, look at your entire portfolio value. Like don't just look at that one stock value is the rest of this is, is your portfolio down 20%. It's, you know, more often than not, it won't be. And that should give you reassurance. So like, you know, I had a, a buddy of mine who was in S.O.L. and that stock, you know, it, it's been whipsawing like crazy. Um, and I kept saying to him, like, well, like, what's your overall portfolio value? He's like, well, why do I care? Like, the rest doesn't matter. I want to I just want to make some more money on this deal. It's like, well, like, that's not how investing works. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. But it, it can work differently for everybody. I mean, that's the key thing about this is that there's no one answer. Right. And, and even like if you if you just compare portfolio returns. Like you say, "Oh, this guy made thirty percent, this guy made twenty percent, the thirty percent's better." Well, not really, because you don't know how he got to that thirty percent, right? If that person took a lot more risk and bought a triple liver GTF and just happened to hit you know the one thing, you know, that's why investment managers really get judged year over year, and it's very, very difficult to outperform over twenty years. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. so so that's an interesting thing to think about. Uh, just speeding through some of the things we didn't really, you know discuss. Strategy-wise, you kind of have to figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. What's your advantage? How can you? Um, what's your competitive advantage, right? So, and and that changes over time, especially if you're new to the market. Like for me, I started out coming into cannabis and being like, oh, I'm a long-term holder. I'm a value guy. I'm a commercial real estate guy. I'm a Warren Buffett type, you know, investor. And nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, I was I was basically being like a flipper. I bought Canopy and a Freer really cheap. They went up 5, 6x, and I sold most of them. I bought Medifarm Labs as a private placement. It went up really well. I started selling, you know, and then I held and da-da-da. But, um, you, you know, in hindsight, that was a good time and a good place to be more of a flipper, to be more mm-hmm. of moving into a name, riding a wave, getting out. Now I feel, and after after living through the pain of watching your good names get away from you because they get too high, now I feel it's way better to be an investor. It's better to accumulate into uplisting, but acknowledging like, hey, I still do like this game of find the next thing, find the underperformer and invest in it. So I've dedicated a portion of my portfolio to that, right? Mm-hmm. And then two of my uh, uh, my biggest private investments are PharmaCan and Ascend, great MSOs. I think they'll do really well over time, completely private deals. I can't even sell those if I want to, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're just sitting there stuck. And that actually works really well for me too, because I can't panic sell those. So if you look at the portfolio overall now, you've got private deals, can't touch them. And I have a, I have a bunch of private deals. Most of them I don't talk about, but bunch of private deals. Then I've got some core positions that really you don't want to sell um you want to keep accumulating and then you've got the the you know wacky part of the portfolio where you're you're doing more you're doing you're more active you're doing moves um you're taking maybe theoretically more risk and riding more volatility and then across that whole portfolio you know there's a good mix of speculating investing long term medium term short term um and that's and there's enough in there that it can keep you entertained understanding that that's part of, you know, interesting things as a human. Um, but there's also good enough meat and potatoes there that over three to five years, uh, hopefully you're getting some good results.
1: For sure. For sure. And, and, and that makes sense. <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I think we're coming I... to an Sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I'm just saying that's how I do it. But you're right. We're coming to the end here. So in the last couple of minutes, what I'd like to talk about, Abby, um, is just a couple of ideas and strategies, right? So, um, one quote I heard from uh, Chamath, which, which I thought was really good, was, you know, he said value investing is not just about, you know, cigar butts and, and you know, buying, um, you know, crappy companies at really cheap prices. He said value investing can be about buying something valuable. Right. And what a lot of people are doing right now is they're buying kind of top tier MSOs, uh, just accumulating and dollar, dollar cost averaging them. Right. And. The beauty of that strategy, I'll say, is that if you have a lot of confidence in the company, then you're unlikely to do something stupid, even if it's down 50%. Yeah,
1: that that does make sense. And you know what? Cannabis is now finally at a point where uh, we can do that.
0: That's a good point, right? The capital structure has improved. Now, I, I think still, I think you should be learning how to read financials because you're going to get left behind. Um, and ultimately, the people who invest... Millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions and eventually billions. They know how to read financials, right? They look at revenue and margins and EBITDA and cash flow. So up to you, but I would invest, you know, in, in yourself. Um, but a core idea from this episode: a simpler strategy can be better than a complicated one because you can actually follow it. So this is not a competition about who can get the highest ROI. You need to make a strategy that suits you, and helps you make good decisions. That is the key. And Abby, I'll, I'll give you an example of something I heard from somebody, which I, I think you'll probably like. And um, I heard somebody, kind of offhand, talking about Bitcoin, or just coins in general, like like you know crypto. And you know he's not a financial guy; he's not super sophisticated. But he just said, he said, "Look, my goal here is to buy a good coin." dollar cost average through the volatility, you know, as I get as I get my paycheck coming in and just hodl, like just hold on for dear life into the future. And hopefully I wake up one day and this portfolio has, you know, gone several times and I've built some real wealth for myself.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, that, that is a great strategy and that's something that you should be doing. I would, I mean, I'd be very cautious about doing that. I mean, maybe now it makes sense, but Bitcoin is just like we've used this analogy before. It's like trying to find the Ford, GM, and Chevy in 1920, right? You could be thinking you're buying a good car company, but they they might not be here.
0: Look, I know nothing about coins. I know nothing about crypto. I'm not saying anybody should be buying it. I'm just saying this guy's strategy I thought was actually pretty good. Because- yeah,
1: it's, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a good strategy. Yeah, uh, in general.
0: Yeah, right? be- but you should because be doing
1: this for all your all, mm-hmm. all your names.
0: But but if you think about what he's saying, like. He's not reading charts, right? He's not trying to predict the day to day of what's going to happen in this casino, which I think is like, it's not my game at all. For me, it's so much easier to predict what's going to happen in two to three years than two to three days or two to three months. I have no idea what's going to happen in the short term. I think I've got a pretty good idea of what will happen over a couple of years. And I'm using that to my advantage. So this guy's saying, look, He's invest he he's investing his time and energy into crypto. He can sort of get a feel of what's a real coin and what's not a real coin. Okay. And then he can dollar cost average so he's not catching the top, right? Um, and hopefully that coin over a couple of years proves to be something real and he can make some real money on it. Right. That I'm not saying that's a perfect strategy. I'm just saying I think, yeah, you know what? That's a strategy you can actually follow, right? Okay. And you have some idea of what you're buying. So when it goes down 50%, you're able to buy more and dollar cost average if things haven't fundamentally you know, changed for the worse, right? Right. That's not, I think that's actually a simple strategy that you can follow. And I think that that might be a strategy of what people do with the MSOs. They might just go, look, I'm going to buy the top 10 MSOs. I'm going to try to buy them when they're not totally overheated, dollar cost average, If the market takes a huge crap, I'm going to try to keep entering instead of exiting. And hopefully I wake up after, you know, a year after uplisting and hopefully, you know, I've made a lot of money and then ultimately the game will change. And at some point it it will make more sense for you to sell because you've just accumulated so much wealth or the number is such that you start trimming and pulling back. Right. Right. So that might be a better strategy for the average person. Than this wacky stuff that I'm trying to do.
1: <laughs> Your strategy is pretty simple.
0: My strategy is pretty simple. I uh when things are hot, I buy. When things are sell, I get out and I make I rationalize it later on.
1: Yeah, that sounds sounds a great strategy to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um Abby, any, any final thoughts you want to leave people with on on mindset and dealing with loss? Um I mean,
1: yes, my mindset is very important. Obviously, we've hammered down having a clear strategy. I think I've sort of told people that, you know, it is okay to sell. One thing to really realize right now is that, like, we've been in this crazy bull market. Um, It can continue. There's no way to know if it's going to go up or not. Just be humble and know that, you know, you're not the smartest person in the room. It's it's, it's a really hot market. Things are doing really well. Um, And it will come to an end, right? And, you know, I've talked to you extensively about of my theories on, on when I think it's going to come to an end, you know, maybe we'll talk about another episode, um, but have some cash in the, in the background. Like we're not in the background, sorry, have some cash reserves in your portfolio uh, for when things do start to dip, you can start high grading and buying your good, like your, your, your quality names.
0: Mm-hmm. And just to end, that's a great point of what you just said. Like just having some cash, I don't have a lot of cash left now because I keep entering, 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 but just having some cash, Allowing myself to make some moves last week when things were really um, beat up. Uh, God, it feels so much better to be able to do something than sit and do nothing. Yeah, you got it. Right? So that really worked for me. So guys, there you go. The importance of mindset, dealing with loss, having a strategy, you know, figuring out what works for you. podcast at gmail.com. Until next time.